Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the New Standard, a Steelers podcast for Steeler Nation. And joining me is my co-host and partner in crime, Neil Kulong. What's happening, sir? You know, it's uh, the the end of the great weekend celebration of football. I'm completely exhausted. I feel like I'm jet lagged and hungover at the same time, and it's uh, uh, it, it's it's a long, grueling process. Um, there's a lot to go over. It's a lot of fun and everything like that. But at the end of it, you, you just feel kind of exhausted, which is where I am this morning. So got a, got a quick workout in. Um, I'm feeling good. I just know that mentally I'm fried. But, yeah, you're looking uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for all the podcast listeners. Uh, Neil's enjoying the cup of Joe with a golden bear on it. So he's no. a fan of so he's a fan of mine for that because I'm a cow golden bear. So thank <laughs> you, Neil, it, for it. that. You know, Neil's looking quite uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I'm pretty, pretty tired myself. Went to a party last night, uh, celebrated a, a good friend of mine, his birthday, won a little bit of money. Uh, so, you know, I'm a little bit tired, got a long day coming up, but we're going to still rock and roll and give you the best content. Yeah. Before we jump in the show, I do want to dedicate this program to my barber who passed away yesterday, Jairus Cook. Real yeah. good brother, man. Unfortunately, died too young, but, you know, God always has a plan. So um, he needs Jairus. And so Jairus had to come home. So I want to send my condolences to Jairus and to his family. Uh, real good brother gone too soon. So, again, I want to dedicate this program to Jairus Cook. And last but not least, I want to dedicate this program to the Nunn family, Bill Nunn, uh, you know, Bill Nunn Jr. Jr. Um, uh, the third was a very good uh, close friend of my dad. So we've known the Nunn family forever. And so I uh, want to send our congratulations to uh, Bill Nunn and his family. Outstanding accomplishment. Um, if you don't know about Bill Nunn, I know Steeler fans do, but take a look at that the Nunn family history uh, with the Pittsburgh Courier and their contributions to the community of Pittsburgh as a whole, even outside of football. But enough of that. want to jump right into the show. And the topic of this show is using cliches to describe the Steelers 2021 draft class. We wanted to do it a little bit different. Because on a lot of shows, you're going to get, you know, the typical grades and break them down and so on and so forth. But I think Neil and I came up with a creative way to talk about the draft class through using popular cliches. And one of the first cliches I want to use to describe a player in this class, and I want you to tell me to describe what you were saying to me before we came on air, Neil. And this is the cliche. You don't know more than the team does. I think if, if we are, and this is not what we're planning to do with the show, but sometimes paths cross. Uh, if we were to assign that cliche to any of the Steelers, pay, well, there are two of them really, but primarily because it's the more notable one, uh, Pat Fryermuth of, of tight, uh, the tight end of Penn State, who was taking the second round, 55th pick overall. Um, many, myself included, did not particularly um, find that to be the best pick they could have made. There are reasons for that. And while I will say first and foremost, and this is because of the cliche, I don't act as if I know more than the team. It's not a question of knowing more. He has obvious warts and flaws. And I know that because he's a college player. Um, he is not 
a, a current all pro player at the NFL. Uh, he wasn't even all American level in college. Uh, there are parts of his game that I don't think he's going to be able to really get past. Uh, there are parts of his game that make me think he's not going to be uh, really all that exceptional of, of a player. Cause I don't think he's all that exceptional of a talent. The issue that I ran into when I dared make these thoughts public on, on Friday night via social media, the level of animosity that came for the idea of him being anything less than his nickname, baby Gronk largely came from Penn state supporters. And after a while uh, it became obvious that the, the majority of the problem that, that people have is simply because you are knocking a player from their school. People aren't looking at this objectively at all, but usually when somebody doesn't want to argue what they get into is, well, you know, less than the team does. Okay. Here's what I know. Fair and unfair. Pat Frymouth is not an exceptional athlete. He catches the ball, but he's not seen as, as really all that athletic of a player. Uh, he has good size, but he has short arms, which doesn't really, well, yeah, not short, but short-ish arms that if you're looking at him uh, primarily as a blocking tight end, which I think a lot of people will, uh, he, he's not going to excel in that area. He doesn't have good balance. Uh, it, really, what we're looking at is a guy that has a nickname Baby Gronk because he's white and he's a tight end. He doesn't look anything at all like Rob Gronkowski. He doesn't play like Rob Gronkowski. He's not going to be Rob Gronkowski. Give him a break, okay? I'll bet you $1,000 he hates that nickname. He grew up in Boston. He wears number 87. A kid that plays tight end growing up in Boston should like Rob Gronkowski. That only makes sense. He's the best tight end of whoever lived. And I don't think that's going to be surpassed anytime soon unless the real tight end of the draft, Kyle Pitts, uh, would would surpass him in, in, in years to come. Pat Furmuth is – he was considered by many to be the second best tight end of the draft, but as I said on Twitter, there was a team that finished second in the NFC East last year too. It doesn't really matter where he is in comparison to the other players of the draft because the first one was the fourth pick overall. He might have been the best prospect in the draft straight up, and Furmuth looks nothing at all like Kyle Pitts not even close to the same player. He's not somebody that if you put reasonable competition in a draft, he would not have been the second tight end taken. And I still think that he was kind of a reach in the first round. That said, it doesn't mean that I think that he's terrible. Therefore, I don't know anything because the team took him. It doesn't even mean the team is super excited to have him. What it means is they needed a tight end because I think objectively, Eric Ebron is the most one-dimensional player in all of football, and they can't run 12 personnel packages with, with Ebron and what they have right now. Ebron, he isn't even interested in blocking, let alone not functionally able to do it. They needed somebody who at least could come in and try. Lance, you might remember the, the Washington game last year. I forget if it was the third down and goal or the fourth down and goal. Oh, yeah. Uh, the carry that they had to the right side. Chase Young is, is on the offensive left side. Ebron went in motion. His only job was to get in Chase Young's way. If that's yeah. blow in his face, if that's elbow him, if that's tell him a story, whatever, do something to slow him down. Ebron just let him walk on right through because he's too far away to make a play ignore the fact that Chase Young is an absolute freak of nature and made up seven yards and two strides and, and tackled, I think it was Snell that got that carry, uh, a yard in the backfield. They lost a touchdown. They lost that game by like three points, four points, whatever it was. That was a critical play that was not made by a guy getting paid $5 million, apparently, to not block. They need somebody to come in and play it. I said the entire offseason, they need a tight end. That needs to be a priority, but this is not a good tight end class. 
if they have to take a guy in the second round to come in and play, even if he's probably better in the third, fine. I don't have a problem with that. But don't don't spit on me and tell me it's raining. That's all I'm saying. He's not a great player. I don't care if he is the second best tight end prospect in the class. He's not a great prospect. At best, you're looking at Matt Spath, in my opinion, which would be great. But Matt Spath didn't develop that for three, four years down the line. And the Steelers let him walk for two seasons before they got him back when he was playing his best. So if that's what Frymouth ends up being, okay, great. Uh, it's not going to matter after a year. But the level of... Uh, ignorance and animosity that was displayed in, in describing why it is this guy is legitimately the, the, a high-level player, I think is absolutely ridiculous. And it has nothing to do with whether or not I'm coaching the team, whether or not I'm scouting the team, whether or not anybody has any other opinion. I listened to plenty of reasonable people that that described a, a pretty good player. They pointed out things that I might not have noticed or I might not have, have uh, seen when I evaluated him. Um, that That's really what this is about. We're, we're talking about prospects who are going to develop, they're going to grow. I don't see that he has all that high of a ceiling. Other people disagree, and that's fine. We have no issue with that. But nobody works for the team that's having these conversations in Twitter. Lance, you don't work for the team. We're not being paid as scouts. The reality is, though, some things are pretty obvious, arm length being one of them, balance being one of them. You don't see that where he is today. I don't think he's going to be able to get on the field and and really make a difference right away. Mike Tomlin said up and down this offseason, they're looking for difference makers. I don't know if he's that, but you know what? The, the sun came up today. It came up Saturday. I, I'm fine either way. The <laughs> level of defense that that went into this pick, I, I thought was just crazy. And frankly, if he went to any other school, I don't think I would have. Well, maybe Ohio State, but I don't think people would have defended him uh, if he went to Minnesota, if he went to Texas. We would not have seen the level of uh, blind loyalty toward the school above all else. I think um, when you look at the pick, he checks – the power five box that we talked about on earlier podcasts. The interesting thing is he doesn't check the RAS box. And I think RAS must have updated his profile because I know it was in the fives a couple of weeks ago when we talked. They, I think they've updated it because it's not up there now. I think Steeler Nation was pretty surprised at, you know, the just how big a need of tight end was for the Steelers. I think most of us put it down the list of needs for the Steelers. So I think the nation was just generally surprised that they took a tight end in the second round. I mean, I know I was, but that does fall really good into the first cliche of you don't know more than the team does. Another popular cliche is take him and you're set for 10 years. But before we jump into that one, in terms of Matt Canada's offense, what do you think the propensity of, of running 12 personnel is? How critical is running 12 personnel for what Canada tries to do? And was that a big reason why tight end was so needy uh, for the Steelers? Okay, there, there are a couple things with this. First and foremost, I think we can add Matt Canada anything to the cliche list at this point. <laughs> Matt Canada has not been a coordinator for one game in the NFL. We don't know what Matt Canada is going to do. You are not an expert on Matt Canada and and his offensive system, okay? It doesn't work like that. They they put things together based on the personnel that they have. They don't package it into these are the plays that we run. They tailor everything for the personnel that they have. Canada's job is to coordinate the entire offense. Some of that, depending on the team, 
uh, includes coaching, what coaches are doing, what we want them to do. This is going to be seen uh, most obviously in how the Steelers want to run the ball as a system this year. Um, there are gap schemes, there are zone schemes, there are power schemes. There are elements of all of these things that come into any team. If a team wants to run something well, that's going to be the thing that they run the most often. In practice, they're going to develop that. If that is your primary thing, you're probably doing it seven, eight times a game. It's not the only thing that you do, okay? This isn't, uh, you know, uh, uh, Joe Riggs power football anymore. You know, they're not exclusively doing any one thing. The Steelers have had a lot of success in recent years running inside zone. Le'Veon Bell was a great inside and outside zone runner when he shed a, a bunch of weight going into the 2014 season. He became a great player. Uh, their offensive line uh, it learned to zone block much more than how they did previously. A lot of that is the conscious effort, not of just the coordinator, but everybody. They brought in an offensive line coach because they wanted to teach certain concepts. I think that's what the Steelers are doing now. I think Adrian Clem, the new the, the new offensive line coach, uh, is being brought in really to teach a, a better zone awareness and kind of a new way to do that and to run gap the way that they had been. Gap is a much more simplified version of power. <clears throat> there are some zone elements in it. Your guards are moving a lot more. It's a lot more uh, exchange from one side to another. It's, it's more like zone than it is power. So the players that they're drafting now are, are more in line with probably a zone and a gap scheme. You can still do power concepts out of that, but they look like finesse players. They look like guys that are going to win on, on guile, coaching, positioning, technique. That's that's their strength. I think that's what they have with the players that they have. And they got a running back uh, that should be able to do that. That said, your 12 personnel, there are groups and packages that you have to be able to run. All right. Everybody screamed about how not creative. There's another cliche to, to throw in there. The creativity <laughs> yes. of an offense. They're, they're predictable. Okay. A, a huge part of that, believe it or not, is not play calling. It's personnel. Yeah, it's personnel. You can't effectively run 12 personnel when your two tight ends are jokes when it comes to blocking because they know that right. you're not running the ball, okay? They needed to bring in somebody who is not a joke when it comes to blocking. This is a guy who's actually going to block. Washington lined up at the line knowing Eric Ebron isn't going to do anything. Why do you think they put him in motion, okay? It's to right. get him away. From, right. We're not going to block you with Ebron. You don't get to just sit back, lick your chops, whip him, and get into the backfield. We're going to put him in motion because we're going to put him on the move and try to get in somebody's way, but we can't even get him to do that. Farmouth is not going to do that. That's a good thing. That adds to the idea that they can run more outside zone stuff with a guy that is going to be able to get downfield. He can move off of the line and lead that outside zone, a stretch zone run. Um, he's able to get in the way of a defensive end if, in 12 personnel, which is chuck a guy, release, and move somewhere down the field. He's not going to be your 15 to 18 yard seam guy, but he is going to be something underneath, probably catch the ball and get tackled where he stands because he's not going to make anybody miss. But they needed another tight end that's able to do that. Vance McDonald was hobbling on maybe one limb last year. Poor guy was clearly not healthy the entire season. He looked like walking death. There's a reason he retired pretty quickly after the season. Uh, he was not coming back anyway. His career was over. So I, I love Vance McDonald. They really counted on Vance McDonald being healthy and being able to play last year. He wasn't. They had the worst tight end group in, in the league, in my opinion, one of the worst position groups in all of the league. Um, they needed a tight end. Okay. So we throw out everything that we've talked about as far as the boxes being checked. 
things of that nature because they needed a guy in there. I don't think he's worth a second round pick, but what I know is they don't have another option and it doesn't get any better. Uh, maybe I was a Tommy Tremble guy. I, I think he could have done pretty well for what they needed him to do. They, they chose somebody else. It's fine. They needed that position filled. That's why they did it. The 12 personnel rounds out everything that they're going to do. It, it's not about, you know, pretending this is little giants and making more creative plays. It's about being able to run more packages. There are more things that you can do when you have better personnel, when you are more balanced on, on all three downs. If you can only come out in 12 personnel and every team knows that you're throwing the ball, it doesn't do anything. All you're doing right. is, is putting now two less effective receivers on Well, not two. Ebron's a pretty good receiver, but one lesser effective receiver in comparison to the four receivers that you, you have on the outside who are obviously much better. They committed money to, to Juju Smith-Schuster. Keep that in mind. They want to have four receivers. So your 12 personnel should not be pass only. You need to be able right. to run the ball out of that. That's that's the, the advantage that they're going to get with this. You mentioned when you were talking about one of the worst position groups in football was their tight end group. Ironically, uh, a position group was even worse than that was the running back group. And that's a great transition into the Steelers selection of Najee Harris and the use of cliches to describe these guys or describe the draft process. And one of the most popular ones, particularly in talking about a running back was I had him going much lower on my draft board. First of all, everyone doesn't have a draft board. That's one. They might have dart boards. They <laughs> might have all types of other boards, but everyone does not have a draft board. I'll give you your board. So if you're on Twitter, <laughs> if you're on Twitter, you got a board game. I'm going to think you have a board game like Monopoly. Um, or your board of games. There's a lot of different things of games and boards that people have, Parcheesi, whatever, but they don't have draft boards. Everybody doesn't have a draft board. Everybody's not sitting watching the Come on, man. In a COVID era, when actual scouts that are being paid to watch games had trouble evaluating players, yep. and when you saw so many players who did not play an entire season get drafted high, based on what they did the previous year. I mean, Jalen Waddle goes higher than his teammate who destroyed college football last year. I mean, Chase goes high. I mean, that's just an example of, of how this plays out. Nobody has a draft board. But getting back to Najee Harris, the cliche of I had him going much lower on my draft board was probably mentioned five million times when, by golly gee, the Steelers drafted a running back with their number one pick overall in the 2021 draft. Speak to that, Neil. The biggest issue with the idea of, and I, I apologize, I realized I didn't answer the last question, uh, the, the last part of it being a guy that, that will play for 10 years when you draft him. The idea here is you have to understand there are 32 teams drafting. Those are individual, Okay. If you have your your board, fine. You know, if you want to rank every player, that's fine. But you have to understand that is absolutely not how a team uh, it compiles their information. We've discussed this on the show. They need to filter it down. You can't make decisions based off of a list. It just doesn't work that way. It's not efficient. It's not clean. And it's not up to any type of, of uh, fluid situation, which is really what the draft is. Najee Harris was, at the time, 
you can reasonably say, if you don't agree with it, okay, fine. But you can reasonably say he was the best player at a position of need for the Steelers uh, when they were on the clock at 24. And I don't think they thought about it very long. Um, we discussed the, the the idea of Tevin Jenkins, who I, I saw as as a pretty good tackle, uh, maybe even interior lineman prospect. He didn't go till the second round. I think they thought about him. I think they liked him in that spot. But in the end, if Harris was there, he was going to be their guy. The fact that you have him lower on a vertical board that doesn't take position of need into account, that doesn't take any team dynamic into account, it doesn't take character, it doesn't take uh, fit. You know, it, Mike Tomlin and, and Najee Harris clearly had talked several times before it. They were very comfortable speaking to each other on the phone. It, it's it's obvious that they felt that they had a rapport. You can't ignore things like that. This is a fluid game that involves a lot of people. If you are not on the same page with a player, if you don't feel like you can communicate with a player, that might not be the best guy for you to draft, talent he's or otherwise. High, he's a high character guy. That's another one. Yep. Yeah, I thought we had that on there, didn't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah, okay. Well, it, it, and let's be honest with that. It, it, it's fair to some degree. The weight of it, I think, is a different story. But it, as far as I had Harris lower, great. There are 31 picks after you choose in the first round. Are 31 other teams or some combination of 31 other teams going to pass on the player that you like so much to be 55 overall? Probably not. If you want a guy, you have to go get him. That's just the way it works. Sometimes that means he doesn't fit exactly where you think he should on a universal standard of measurement that nobody else is using. It doesn't make a difference if you had him anywhere on your board. You know, and I'm not trying to be a jerk when I say that. It's just Harris fit what the team wanted to do. And I, another topic for another day is, is how much they really should run the ball. That's what the Steelers want to do. That's why it was obvious it was going to be Harris. The only way it was not going to be Harris is if Harris was taken first ahead of, of Pittsburgh. And I didn't think that was a great possibility of happening. You're bored. It, it's good to reference. It, it's a fun hobby. It's a fun activity. I understand, but you can't set your board as the factual entity in the equation. You, you can't do that. That's not the constant. Okay. Your board doesn't mean anything because it's not crafted um, to the specifics of any one team. Where Najee Harris lands doesn't mean a thing to the Dallas Cowboys because the Dallas Cowboys are not drafting Najee Harris. It's just, why would they do that? There's, there's no sense for them to do that. So it, it doesn't make a difference universally where you have him ranked anywhere. Pittsburgh probably had him at the top of three, four buckets of players from positions that they needed to address. He was probably the best player at a position of need in their estimation. Now, yeah. again, I'm not even arguing if they should have or should not have. I'm saying that's the board, quote-unquote, that matters. It's what the team is using uh, to evaluate the players who are at the position. Now, that creates you know, picks every now and again, like Alex Leatherwood at 17 overall, which I thought was easily the worst pick of the first round for, for value. Whatever reason, that's the player the Raiders wanted. And in, right. in some cases, you just need to go get the guy that you – are going to be able to win with. And if it's not the best in comparison to their peers, which doesn't make a, a difference really in the end, if that's the guy that you want, if that's the guy that's going to help you come closer to, to winning a Super Bowl, that's the guy you have to take. And that that's just the reality of it. It's not a game. It, it's, it's an actual business. It's an actual mathematical equation. They're trying to filter down 
to, to identify the best prospect for their entire team and for their organization. It's your first round pick. It's a dog and pony show with those guys. You have to put him in front of reporters. He's going to have to talk more than everybody else. Is he going to handle it? Is he going to fit in with our culture, with the things that we want to do? Is he the right fit for us for the length of his contract? Which is to say, you have no guarantee whether a player is going to play 10 years or not. Better, A far better guarantee, Lance, is that your head coach and your general manager are not going to be there for 10 years. So why do they care if the player is going to yeah. be there? And here's exactly it's exactly simple. there's there's no evidence to suggest draft this player that means he's going to play for the next 10 years that can't possibly be a part of your equation you want every player to play for 10 years if they're good enough if they're not you don't want them why would you want to draft a guy for, for 10 years without having any sense of whether or not he's going to be able to hold up you can't do that with harris odds are incredible he's not going to last 10 years in pittsburgh but what i'll say is this you can ride him till the cows come home for five years on fairly cheap money, you can tag him on really not all that expensive of, of a tag, and then you can let him walk after six seasons and after having got probably an average of 250 to 300 touches a year from him and probably have uh, identified him as a, a pretty solid first-round pick. What's wrong with that plan? Why does he have to play 10 years? I, I don't understand why that needs to be a factor in the guy that you take. Half the, half the players the Steelers have drafted in the first round uh, most of them are really good. Half of them haven't played in Pittsburgh for that long. You had Pouncey, you have Cam, DeCastro might not make it to 10. Uh, Jarvis, we don't need to talk about him. Unfortunately, Ryan Shazier didn't. Bud didn't make it 10 years. Right. Um, Burns obviously didn't make it 10 years. Watt isn't anywhere close to 10 years right now, and he's got a pretty hefty contract in front of him. You don't know what they're going to do with Edmonds. Bush, you don't know what, what they're going to do with Bush. It, it, you hope that they can, but you can't draft him thinking he's going to play 10 years. That, that's nonsense way too physical of a game things change way too much i mean that's a decade i mean that's I, I, I mean that's a decade i mean I, honestly and i don't mean to well actually i do mean to sound it like this and say it like this they only pick 10 because it's an even number it sounds better than nine or seven that's that's why people use they don't have to defend 10 you have to have yeah. a reason to say nine or seven you know, you know you know 10 just sounds good and it sounds round and the selection of the running back fits nicely with another cliche you could have taken him later that's the other thing when it comes to running backs i don't have an issue with the running back because i think when you take a macroeconomic or just a larger viewpoint of this draft you know, much of this draft is for the future. And like we've talked about on previous shows, if you go to over the cap, I mean, they have 28 players on the roster. They have $91 million in cap space. This is for the future. All of these picks are for the future. They're for the next guy. So it makes perfect sense when you put in uh, the tight end pick in the second round, you took a look at Najee Harris. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, they're trying to be more physical up front. They're trying to run the ball. And some of this is not for this year. It's for the next guy because the next guy that they're going to have under center is going to be very inexperienced. And it's like we talked about before until last week with the extension of Mason Rudolph, they didn't have a quarterback on the roster. Now, if you go to over the cap and you look at the roster, you'll see Ben Roethlisberger's name, but that's the voidable year. He doesn't even have a salary. And last time I checked, the National Football League Players Association is not going to let you play without a salary. So, you know, much of this is for 
the future. Let me jump into a couple uh, of the other uh, cliches here. And, and, and I think we can probably lump some of the other players um, together when uh, you look at this. And one of the popular ones is this is the best pick from a value standpoint. Looking at that cliche and looking at some of the names, of course, they took Dan Moore, offensive tackle in the fourth round, Kendrick Green. And Kendrick Green falls into the cliche of he's twitchy. <laughs> he's twitchy. He's twitchy. Now, I, I, you know, I don't know what the opposite of twitchy is. Is it, me. Itchy? is it itchy? I it's mean, I don't Neil, know what Neil Kulong is the opposite of twitchy. Lance Williams, stiff, stiff in the hips, stiff not twitchy, poor. 50 plus. Not tw- I mean, I don't, know, I don't know what the opposite of twitchy is, but he's described as twitchy. But speak to the, uh, uh, the cliche, the best pick from a value standpoint. And looking at Green, Moore, Johnson, Loudermilk, Roche, Norwood, and Harvin. Who's the best pick from a value standpoint? I love that cliche. Fans are absolutely going to say it's Quincy Roche, without a question. Um, Quincy Roche right now is probably seen as, generally speaking, probably the best pick the Steelers made. Um, Some of that is fueled by optimism um, from those who know, who get excited about it. It, it sends kind of the shockwave through the, the the nation and how they should respond to it. Um, generally speaking, people referring to the, the value of a player, basically meaning um, he was drafted lower than people thought he should have been drafted. I find based that interesting their, because... Based this, on their draft boards. Right. This goes back to your draft board. If you set the constant as your draft board, then okay, I guess that works. But <laughs> yeah, I have yeah, market yeah. evidence that shows he's not better than the spot he was drafted in. I have market evidence that shows he was taken exactly where he was supposed to be taken. Now, obviously, it's not a literal proposition. The idea here is really just that you can't say that people just forgot about this player for a couple rounds. He didn't meet whatever it is, the teams that they were drafting in positions ahead of him. Um, he wasn't a priority to them for whatever reason. You have guys that perhaps you see the talent, maybe he should have been drafted earlier. Okay. But that really kind of washes out over the course of seven rounds um, at the point that a, a kid like uh, uh, Roche, I, I really like him. I think he's a good player. I definitely see why the Steelers would have valued him. Um, I just think it's odd that he wouldn't have been somebody uh, that they would trade up to get. They knew enough to say, we don't want him. We're going to take him. We'll get into to the fifth round pick. Um, I, Isaiah Loudermilk in a little bit, because that's that's a, a whole whole mess of cliches. But for, for Roche to, to be available in the sixth round, there's a reason for that. And it's not because everybody forgot about him. The value pick cliche in, in essence, really means this guy is drafted later than people thought that he was going to be drafted. And that really doesn't mean much. It, it It's exciting. It's fun. You really hope for him. Steelers fans in particular, this is a fan base that rooted for a defensive player of the year who wasn't drafted. James Harrison was cut three times before he, he landed on a team and started to dominate the league. In my opinion, a fringe Hall of Famer who wasn't drafted. We get excited for the late round guys. Every team loves the sense of value that really, ironically, the term itself is, is 
the value of it is the fact that it's completely artificial. We don't know anything about where a guy should go except for the opinions of people who are not making the picks, who are not establishing the, the same criteria and are not operating on the same plane as the people who are drafting them. Going back to the first cliche, that doesn't mean people don't know what they're talking about. It just means that their end game and their process from getting to point A to point B is drastically different than each individual team is. The Pittsburgh Steelers do not draft for the entire NFL draft. They don't draft for every team. Therefore, they are not lining up every player in a, a peer-to-peer comparative way. It doesn't make any sense to do that if you are drafting for your team. There are specific things that they need. This is what they're going to do. Therefore, they evaluate players based on the rounds in which they're drafting. I have no idea where Quincy Roche was on their board, but I know that they took him in the sixth round. The market now says he's a sixth-round player. That's it. Um, I think he's a good one. I don't know how dynamic he is. I could definitely see him uh, falling in in terms of value because – I don't think he's the best athlete. I don't think he's got a very high ceiling, but I think he can come in and play. I think they're going to develop him, and he can be a a very strategic backup, a very smart selection. You're happy to have him. It doesn't mean he has to be an all-pro. He's not the next James Harrison. All these these lame uh, uh, platitudes that come with players who are, in essence, six-round draft picks, it's, it's useless. But at the same time, you can be happy with the pick for what it is. Really, he's depth. They needed depth. They don't want to sign a veteran. They don't want Cassius Marsh playing for them next year, okay? If, if Cassius <laughs> Marsh can do nothing but chase kicks, they're happy with that. That's why they drafted Roche. It's to develop him to be the primary backup at outside linebacker. They don't want Marsh having to be on the field. So um, th- these are all it, – it, if we want to get into um, the, the, the value of center with Green, I agree with you. He's twitched up kind of for a guard. I don't know how, how – switched up an interior lineman can be, but he's a good one for what they're going to do. Um, If we extend the cliche to that, the third round pick, you have the presence of a guy who was not high on the radar. He's not Creed Humphrey. He's not Landon Dickerson. These were the two primary guys everybody wanted at center. But where did they end up going, Neil, real quick? Where where did, um, um, you know, I Humphrey, I know went to the chiefs. I forget where Dickerson went. Um, did they did they go third, fourth, second? They're both second round picks. Both second rounders. Yeah, Um, I see the value in both of those players. Probably Humphrey, perhaps more than than Dickerson. Um, With Dickerson, who knows? Injury wise, I can definitely see why a team would pass on him. The Steelers would not have taken Dickerson um, in, in any round. It's just way too much of a medical concern. They they wouldn't have done it. Humphrey. In my opinion, for as as good of an athlete he was, nimble, uh, uses his body well. There are a lot of things you really like about him. In comparison to Green, I don't think he's as versatile. I don't think his ceiling is as high. With Green, what you really have is the ability. He can play center now, and they can transition him to guard. Who knows what's going to happen with David DeCastro next year? His contract is up. He didn't look very good last year. Pouncey didn't look very good either. They bring in a new center. I think DeCastro probably improves because of that, but – at the end of his contract, he's expensive. You're in a draft next year. There's another free agency period. Maybe they sign a center and they can move Green to guard. I don't think you could have done that with Humphrey. I think that's why they they wanted a guy like Green more so than Humphrey. They can get more out of him. That's value. So it's not just like you're drafting a center right now. You're drafting a player who could be a center this year and a guard next year because guard becomes your big position. If they can find a center 
or maybe it's you know simply replace him, uh, replace DeCastro with another guard. I don't know. They have options. That's the key thing here. To me, value should mean options. Multi-use offensive lineman, in my opinion, is the best way to go. Um, you have that with Chuck Sikorafor, who's you know apparently right tackle last season. Uh, it said that he's going to play left tackle this year. He can play either one. That's that's great. That gives you options. You can move Zach Banner, who might be a better right tackle, back to the spot he was supposed to be at. And you don't have a problem with tackle this year. Um, you you signed Joe Haig out of the North Dakota State University from from the the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be a, a swing tackle, and then you've got a fourth round pick, um, the kid out of uh, Texas A and M to to kind of develop. That's what they do with tackles. That gives to me that makes Green as well as um, the the fourth round pick uh, more um, a, a two value picks for the rounds that they're in. They're guys that. Uh, it, it looks as if Green's probably going to get a very good uh, shot to start, but you can use him in other ways as his career progresses. He has that ceiling. I don't think Humphreys would have, or Humphrey would have. So to me, that's value. Um, but in the end, he's a third round pick. There are other players who are better than him that have higher ceilings that are more versatile. You got a third round pick. Let's not make it out to be like this guy is is you know going to be the greatest player in the NFL just because you drafted him and he's athletic. That to me is usually what people say. Oh, it's a great value pick. It, he's he's much better than his third round draft status. It's just a, it's not true. I mean, he's yeah, a third round the, pick. That's it. And the whole value thing goes back again into this metaphysical draft board that people assemble in their homes somehow when they're out traveling, scouting players during the COVID pandemic. But taking a look at Quincy Roche, his RAS is 6.4, where he got knocked on his RAS, and that's in the yellow category. And again, this is out of 10. Where he gets knocked is his height and his weight. When you look at some of the other things like bench, vertical, so his composite explosion grade, they have him as good. His 40-yard dash was really good for the position at 4.69. And so he measures out pretty well. Interestingly enough, when you talked about Kendrick Green and his athleticism, he measures out in the green tier above 9, 9.13 as a center. And I believe if I change his position to guard, I think he measures out really well as a guard as well at a 9.23. And again, he gets knocked for height and weight. And when you were talking about David Castro – and again, me and Neil are of the, of the mindset that this is a three to five year plan and that the retention of Tomlin and bringing Colbert back, this is a plan about how they're going to build this roster out post Ben Roethlisberger. And when you look at the fact, again, that they have 28 players on the roster, you have to take a look at it in terms of, I think, a three to five year approach in terms of what they're going to do to the roster. So when it comes to David DeCastro, I don't know. It'll be, it won't be surprising to me if David DeCastro doesn't fit into those plans. You know, having a guard that expensive to me is a luxury for a team that's set up to win right then and now, not a team that might be in a full swing of a rebuild. It's probably a good time to develop new players and new talent around that position. So let me ask you. So you looked at the pick of, uh, Dan Moore, uh, we haven't talked about louder milk, but I think this is going to fall into um, an issue of the next cliche. And that is here are my day insert team 
winners or losers. And so as this draft gets broken down into three days, would you include the Steelers as one of the cliche day winners or losers? Um, I think the issue is not in the concept. I think the issue is in the perspective of whoever is doing it. And I say this um, overseeing a network uh, of websites that are all going to write that. Two in particular, though, that are going to get the biggest traffic are our two brands, Touchdown Wire and Draft Wire. Doug Farrar, uh, excellent NFL mind, great guy, great read. Um, he's going to do it for Touchdown Wire, and he is going to apply the league-wide focus, which I've told Doug, I've told you on this show, I've told whoever and how many other radio spots, I've said it in social media, the league-wide perspective is there for reference more than fact. It's not as if you're able to discern what 32 different teams should do when those 32 teams are so hyper-specific and hyper-focused on what they do, their plan, their philosophy, that we don't know. So really, these are apples and oranges. Um, the winners and losers thing, I'll be honest, it's there for buzz. It's there because people want to click on it. They want to read it because they want to find something to either love or hate and then talk about it. It's discussion fodder. It's sacrificing the idea that we'll put our reputation on the line making a stand on one of these things. But neither the writer nor the fan reading it are as in-depth and uh, knowledgeable overall uh, enough to to make the make the determination that they make. And that's not a knock on anybody. It's just simply because teams don't talk about those things. They're, they're not going public with that. Unless you are inside the war room, you don't know what the team is trying to do. You don't know what their aim is. So let, let's, let's apply this, the winners and losers, because I promise you the biggest loser pick the Steelers have is without question the trade-up in the fifth round to get Isaiah Loudermilk. Okay, now I have absolutely no idea why they made that move, but I'll propose this as a completely tinfoil hatted theory. There is something the Steelers use, a, a high level piece of analytics, a cost risk analysis that's telling them the fifth round pick is not worth the traditional pick in, in a draft. What I mean by that is if you look back at their fifth round picks, they're weird. It, I, I joked about this on Twitter. It's almost as if Kevin Colbert, this is the pick they let the players' kids make or something. You, you don't, <laughs> the guy that they take doesn't make any sense. For, what, for everything else that they do, if you watch every round, if you look at every player over the last 10 years, every player they take in every round seems to fit a pattern. You can see it. You know, Maybe not put it into words, but you get a good sense of why they take a guy that they take in what round. The fifth doesn't make any sense. The fifth is also the one they throw at whatever player they can find. All of a sudden, Chase Wormley on a, 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 an expiring contract is worth a fifth-round pick to him. That doesn't make any sense. You're, you're giving a, a backup veteran, uh, basically, a, a, you're, you're going to pay more for him in one year than you would pay for a fifth-round player who would make it through four years of a contract. That isn't all that financially valid. Uh, Nick Vanette, you absolutely needed to have a tight end because you lost one. You throw a fifth at Seattle to, to take in Vanette, and then they barely used him. Like, why did you trade for him then? They don't value fifth-round picks the same way that they value everything else. This year was a great example of it. You traded 
a fourth round pick next year to draft in the fifth round this year. This I jokingly referred to as a Frankenstein's monster out of Wisconsin, simply because you had the defensive coordinator say that they're going to use him as an outside linebacker, which makes him like the biggest outside linebacker who's ever been ever lived. He's six, seven, 290 pounds. He's a power forward. He's not an outside linebacker. I mean, he's huge. It, I, I don't know what you're trying to do with that. If that is really what you want to do, but then you have the head coach saying he could play nose tackle. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on a second. Those are slightly different positions. They're slightly different builds. He looks like a, a five technique defensive end, which then the linebackers coach went out and said that he reminds him a lot of Cam Hayward when they drafted him. Now, if you look at him with a big bushy beard and the hair, he kind of looks like Cam Hayward physically. I don't think he plays like Cam Hayward. No, it, you just you have this this really weird hodgepodge of evaluations to a point where I I also jokingly on social media said. I don't think I've ever seen him play, but with the way that the Steelers are, are talking about him, I'm not sure that they're all talking about the same player either. I mean, it's it's just bizarre <laughs> to me, but they do that in the fifth round. So, it, so much of the winners and losers, well, this is terrible. You lost because you took this guy. He was supposed to be drafted, another big board issue, supposed to be drafted in the seventh round, is supposed to be undrafted. Why did you take him there? I don't know. I can't tell you. I, I really don't have any sense of why they drafted him. It doesn't seem to me that there is anything that meets a traditional metric or standard to explain why they drafted this player where they did, to explain why they gave up capital in next year's draft to take him in the weird fifth round. I don't know. Um, let me let me list the fifth round picks, Neil, from, because it's interesting yeah, that you mentioned yeah. that because I've never thought of it that there's, way. There's a side point to this, too. So when you list off, you're going to find the one trend with it, which is really, really different, in my opinion, compared to anything else. So in 2020, they did not have a fifth rounder. So in 2019, they traded it. For they had Zach, Zach Gentry in, in 2019. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, it was Marcus Allen and Jalen Samuels. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2017, it was Brian Allen. They like Allen's yep. in the fifth round. Maybe that's it. Allen, Allen, fifth. That's you know, anyway, uh, 2016. Louder milk. They traded up for. <laughs> That's a law firm, Allen Allen Louder Milk, uh, Law Incorporated, uh, law for 19. Former you know, NFL player. <laughs> you can call 1 800 Louder Milk. <laughs> yeah, so 2016, no fifth rounder. Uh, 2015, Jesse James. Uh, 2014, Shaquille Richardson and Wesley Johnson. Mm-hmm. Richardson and Johnson, they like law firms. Um, 2013, Terry Hawthorne, um, 2012, Chris Rainey. Okay. Let, let's stop at 2012 just because there, there are a lot of them here to go over. Uh, Rainey, I don't think Rainey falls under whatever philosophy they're using now, but gadget player return guy, very one skill, very, you know, one hit wonder kind of guy. Good value for the one skill if the one skill is any good. And Rainey, Rainey was a good returner. Rainey was an idiot, but he was a good returner. Um, after that, it, for, who was 14 or 13? Uh, let me look back real quick. I kind of moved away. 14 was Wesley Johnson. Okay, Wesley Shaquille Johnson Richardson. and Shaq Richardson. Wesley Johnson, I joked about this in social media. I joked around a lot on social media. I really need to stop doing that. I'm not funny. Wesley Johnson, it, it was as if he hit on one of the coach's wives or something because he got cut right away, real quick. But then he started for the Jets. And I'm not saying that the Jets are the end-all, be-all of everything, but you cut a guy in camp who started for another team like right away, and he was okay. He wasn't bad. Right. 
seems kind of odd. Shaq Richardson, great athlete. You want to talk about a guy who's twitched up, who's sparked up? Shaq Richardson was a good athlete. One skill, okay? They look at that one skill back then. Uh, I don't know what the deal is with Wes Johnson, but they threw him away like a parking ticket very quickly in, into the whole process. Um, after that, it, it, was it Jesse James in 2015? It was Jesse, it was Jesse okay. James. I'll say this about Jesse James, and maybe this is just my – I apparently hate Penn State tight ends. I – eviscerated that pick at the time. Jesse James, his, his college tape was bad. He did not look good at all. The only reason he entered the draft early is because Penn State was bringing in two good tight ends. Kaseki was one of them, and he wasn't going to play. They told him, you know, hey, you might want to go pro because you're not going to be good enough to play here. That makes sense, right? He was a seventh-round guy, in my opinion. But the Steelers that year looked at, I think, like three other tight ends. And Joku was in that draft. Um, Clive Walford was in that draft. These were all players I believe the Steelers were targeting. They tried to get a tight end. James was like the only one left. And I think they just took him in the fifth because they needed a tight end. Very similar, to my opinion, Friarmouth this year, except so he's in the second round. So you tease somehow how this all connects. What's the, what's the connection here with the fifth I'm, round? I'm getting that. I want to go over all of them. 2016, who was that? That was – they didn't have one in 2016. Okay, 2017, that, it was Brian Allen. Okay, Brian Allen, one-trick guy, special teams guy, large cornerback, good athlete, can't play the game. I think he's still playing, though, because he's a special teams guy and athletic enough to, to maybe use as a deep cornerback. 2018, then. Marcus Allen, not okay. the Marcus, Marcus Allen, Allen, but the other Marcus Allen. Marcus Allen was drafted as a safety. What position did he play last year? Uh, what did he play? Linebacker. Like? Linebacker, like this hybrid linebacker. Zach Gentry is a college quarterback. He played one year at tight end. They drafted him. They've been developing to play tight end for two years. Okay. Everything they just said about this Loudermilk guy strongly suggests if he was, if he isn't a DN, let's just say that they're playing him at outside linebacker. They mentioned him being able to play nose tackle. He can play defensive end. What is that? Positional versatility. Fifth round now to this team is not worth it to them enough to draft which very well could be the the result of whatever analysis they run says we are going to to take a player that we can take a risk on because any traditional player is not going to be good enough for the money that we have to pay for a fifth round pick if he's good enough take him in the fourth if he isn't taken in the fourth right take okay him in the sixth because you know what it was a far better player than than Loudermilk is Roche I don't think anybody right. would argue that Roche right. is clearly a better player and, and was. Any any evaluation you look at, you watch him on film, Roche is a much better player. Why didn't they take him in the fifth if they were trading up for him? I think – no way I'll ever be able to prove this, and I'm not a, a mathologist. I, I can't factor it to, to that degree. I think something is just telling them in their philosophy and whatever equation that they're using to evaluate their picks, I think something says fifth-round picks aren't worth it. If you can't get some type of project, some type of, of special player, don't even use it. So they look to trade it, which they have many times. They brought back Nick Vanette, who was basically useless to them. Um, I forget what other player they use. A fifth, uh, what's his name? Wormley, who's a, a backup that they now have to pay more for, which you'd think that they could have developed in the fifth round. But there are seventh round picks that are playing alongside Wormley now. They're looking to get a project. Uh, a player who meets enough of a profile maybe at another position that after their coaching for a year or two could play that other position. That's what they're looking for in the fifth round. And if they don't have that opportunity, they won't use it. 
This year, they traded back into it because I think they really just felt this guy fits whatever this weird idea is that they can get a guy to change a position. And they're locking in to that round. This is the round we're going to do this. You know, this is our special day. This is when we get weird. It doesn't matter anything else. The fifth round is when we're going to do something that we don't do in any other round because the value of it is nil if he doesn't work out. We don't care if it doesn't work out. Well, looking at his RAS, which is 3.63, I think this is worse as an outside linebacker. Look that up, by the way. That's what they said they wanted to play him. And I I think this will be the most discussion that any show, and this is one of the reasons you want to listen to this show, I think this will be the most discussion that anybody will ever, ever talk about Isaiah Loudermilk. Or, or, you know, knowing Steeler fans, what will happen is if the draft turns out to be, you know, what fans don't want it to be, uh, they'll come back to this pick and absolutely eviscerate the draft based on uh, Isaiah Loudermilk. And I think, you know, and I had, you know, friend of the program, uh, Jim Wexel, Steel City Insider.net, tell me just years ago, just to kind of encapsulate all of this together, is that the draft, everything, the draft, um, you know, what you're serving the players for lunch, uh, your personnel department, the, the blades of grass on your mm-hmm. field, how you paint the seats, what the tickets look like, everything, how good the lights are. It's all measured through winning and losing. Um, Successful drafts are just built around how well does your team do. You can draft very good players. Your organization could be trash. Your coaches could be trash. And you don't win games. So I I think the best thing, you know, when you look at drafts, I think for, for us fans is to just take a step back and say, look, how does this translate to winning? You know, winning a draft is about eventually these players that you put together help you win games. That's what it's all about. It's always about winning games. It's about nothing else. It's not about drafting the players to develop them, just to develop them, to say that you developed them. No, that doesn't make any sense if it does not translate into winning football games. Overall, when you look at the draft and you look at the process, Neil, what's your you know, 60,000-foot perspective of the draft, not necessarily this draft, but of the draft as a whole. Um, for for the Steelers, you mean? Just for the Steelers, yeah. I I think this draft for them was exactly what it needed to be, and I think it's going to get more or less panned by critics. At best, it's going to be kind of a mixed result. They didn't draft superstars really i mean harris is going to get the ball a ton he's going to be very much a a volume stat guy in his rookie year assuming he plays you can pretty much guarantee he's going to get 300 plus carries they're going to use him quite a bit you made the point earlier that it might be in line to to shift to a running game that can be successful to help uh, have a foundation for another quarterback next year God help us if that's Mason Rudolph, but really right now it's kind of hard to say that it's not at the very least he's throwing his hat in the ring so Whatever it is, they want to have another option other than the primary method of everything being Ben Roethlisberger, which is what they've done for however long. Um, They drafted players, I feel, help that end. Their primary draft picks help that end. Their first four are are very much in line with that. You took the running back that you needed. You took your your future center. 
You took a tight end. You took maybe potentially a starting quarterback, if not a swing tackle. They use that swing tackle. They use that fourth tight end. They're third tight ends in jumbo packages, or the, the fourth tackle, I mean. Uh, they're usually third tight ends in, in goal line and jumbo packages. He'll play. If, if he can play, he, they're going to get him on the field. So you took guys primarily um, fit primarily to fit in with your run scheme that I think that they're trying to, to, to build um, schematically. To me, that's what a draft should be. Um, it's not just, as you pointed out, it's not simply just to draft the best player who's ever there. An extremely subjective term that's extremely difficult to, to define. You can define your scheme. You can say, we want guys that can do this. These are the players we're going to draft. We don't care if he's ranked 17 or, you know, he's only ranked 45th on your big board and we take him at 29. It doesn't make a difference. Who cares? He's playing the way that we want to play. He's playing the way that we can coach him. And in our conversations with him, in our background checks, it all strongly points to this guy being able to fit in here to do the things that we want him to do. Not just, he doesn't exist in a vacuum. He has to play with everybody. So I think they drafted players along those lines. I think to, to the point about louder milk, I unfortunately think you're exactly right. He's going to become the face of this draft if he doesn't work out. At the same time, he's going to be elevated to king status if he plays in a preseason game, gets a sack, and a positive PFF grade. Those two things happen. This draft is is aces. The fans are going to love it if he comes <laughs> in and he does well right away. And the coach is going to get eviscerated if he does well in a preseason game and then doesn't play. Kevin Dotson, you know, let's ignore right. the fact that he's a rookie and you usually have to scheme up everything around the rookie player that doesn't know what's going on. Kevin Dotson even said he wasn't really comfortable with, with what he was doing, but he had a positive PFF grade. Therefore, he's the best lineman on the team by far. It's like, okay, <laughs> that's all right. Let's, let's just dial that back a bit. He didn't play a whole lot. He's a young player. I loved Kevin Dotson last year. If we did this show last year today, the one I'd be talking about was Kevin Dotson. I was a huge fan of his, and I think he's a good player. I'm not saying anything against him. I'm just saying, though, that guys usually draft in the fourth round for a reason. And if he starts and comes in and he's blowing the world up, it's probably because the team is setting him up for that. And I think that's the, the position that um, they had last season. He did well. He's going to get better, though. He needs to improve. He's not a great pass protector. They're going to be able to do good things with him, and they're going to develop him like the guys that they just drafted are. But the reality is uh, Dotson did something, and he becomes the face of last year's class, and he still is. This we year, all, it's going to be Louder Milk. For we all, we all know Louder Milk is the new Dan McCullers. I mean, yes. we all know that. Before we get out of here, I do want to jump into one comment made by one of the people in the live chat. And thank you, everybody, who jumped in the live chat. We had to jump on pretty early. I have a busy day today. You know, it never stops. I'm a soccer dad. You soccer dads out there understand, and you know what that means. Let's jump into just a quick comment from uh, Jeff Lauderdale. He wrote, pedigree, production, versatility, character, size, athleticism, ratio, other things. I've noticed that are most important when the Steelers, and trying to guess who the Steelers are interested in the roster. And then he went on to say two players that come to mind are Chickalo who had versatility from DN in college to outside linebacker and Gerard Hollyman, who had 14 interceptions in college. Speak to that, Neil. Um, Chicolo, I think, is an excellent example of what I was saying about the weird fifth round versus sixth round we're going to get guys that we're serious about. Um, Chicolo was a guy they tabbed from the beginning as a, a, a future strong reserve outside linebacker, if not a starter. Um, he 
I think he was better uh, it, at, as a college defensive end. But as far as I know, Chicolo is still in the league. I mean, he's he's gotten a lot out of the fact that he was a six-round pick. Um, they got some run out of Chicolo. He was a good special teams player. He's not a guy that you want to start. But his profile was a, a plus athlete who could play on the outside. And again, you know, he's not TJ Watt. They didn't draft him to be TJ Watt, but he's put together a pretty nice career because of that. Holloman, I think was just kind of a throwaway. Um, I I'll be honest with you. I don't know why they, they drafted Holloman. I saw Holloman at camp. He didn't belong there. And I think he knew he didn't belong there. So uh, he was, he was dismissed fairly quickly. I don't think they even had him on the practice squad. I don't think anybody even signed him. Um, he was not, a very well-rounded football player. So whatever the case was with Holloman, it's probably just a throwaway pick. Let's take him and, and, you know, use him as a body in camp more than anything else. Don't think that they're above that either. Remember the year they, they drafted the long snapper who didn't even win the job at a camp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're, they're not yes. necessarily going, aiming to take every single player that they have this year though. I think they will this year. I think all eight, all nine guys now are going to be on the roster. Uh, that That's a rare thing. That doesn't happen very much, but I think they need all of them. And I think they specifically drafted these. There were no throwaway picks in there. Uh, Trey Norwood, the kid out of Oklahoma, he's a phenomenal player for what they do. He's a very niche player. He's a specialty guy. But there are deep uh, uh, coverage packages that he's played and he's done well with. They, they play a, a, a single high zone defense. He can play within that on the outside. I think they're going to use him. Um it, you know, it, you're not trading up to to not have louder milk on your roster, so uh, you, you can count him on the team. And I, I, the other ones, I think, all have roles. They're, if if nothing else, they're special teams players. So Holloman, not a guy that they they really thought anything of. And it, it, I saw him in camp. They didn't use him. He didn't do anything. They cut him the first opportunity that they got. No practice squad for him. I think they just drafted him just because. Because why not? Um, Chicolo, though, was a guy that they expected to, to get something from, and they did. I mean, for what they ever paid for him, um, he did okay. And I, I think you're right, though, in the sense that they, they have a profile of a sixth-round pick, guys that were going to develop and, and eventually work into starters. And there are a lot of linebackers who have been taken in the sixth round um, that have fit that mold. They have one right now. Vince Williams is, is a guy that they're still counting on. Um, and he's a solid player, came out of the sixth round. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff, for those comments. And I encourage everybody out there to continue to uh, post good comments in the chat. Real quick before we get out of here, just a real quick blurb on Buddy Johnson. We didn't really talk about Buddy Johnson too it's much. It's too bad because I love Buddy Johnson. Absolutely love that guy. Well, we'll talk about Buddy Johnson. Then we'll, we'll, we'll run that back um, next week and talk about Buddy Johnson. Um, give a shout out to anything or a quick promo to anything you got going on Steelers Wire or Draft Wire that uh, Steelers fans might want to look at this week. Some little post, some post draft wrap up stuff. I'm sure. Just, just uh, super happy, super excited. The fact that we got through it. I want to thank uh, everybody in my network, um, every site, every team that we covered. We posted a ton of content. If it's got wire in the title, I oversee it, and I've got somebody good working on it. Um, check it out. Whatever it happens to be, Steelers Wire, obviously being the one for for this audience. But Touchdown Wire, Draft Wire's got great stuff up there as well. And I want to thank them. Thank God we were able to get through it. The last thing I want to say about the draft is, you know, it's all about hope. The draft is about hope. It's about building hope for the next season. And hope is one of the most important things that we have and we should all should hold on to. And that's just what it's all about. And, it's, and the NFL does a fantastic job of marketing everything about itself. Uh, you know, so don't feel bad if you were watching TV and you knew who Mr. Irrelevant was. It was by design 
the NFL wanted you to know who Mr. Irrelevant was. But, you know, hope springs eternal, and that's what the draft is always about. And so be encouraged, Steeler fans. There will be a 2021 season. It is a season that's, you know, I have coined as sexy tanking. But, you know, the draft is about hope. And the one thing about it when it comes to all these players is we just have to be patient with them. They're going to get developed, and we'll see how they pan out. But with that, we're going to conclude the show. I hope everyone continues to consume and to listen to the new standard. We're going to keep bringing you fantastic shows. And, Neil, I want to thank you for, you know, uh, combing your hair. I thought your hair was going to be a little more disheveled. I was. I thought it was going to be more Einstein-esque this Sunday. I, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> I didn't work out before it, so um, no need to no need to go hat today. I, I took a shower. I was up ready early, set to go here. Um, another long day ahead of me, but it's it's going to be good. I'm feeling good now. I'm energized. We're going to go ahead and get out of here and conclude the show. Go Steelers and enjoy your post Steeler draft. Hope springs eternal. Here we go, Steelers. <laughs>